Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm April Dawson, a law professor at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and my co-host, Irving Joyner, is out of town doing what he so often does and fighting for justice. So I will be hosting solo today, but don't fret, Irv will be back at the mic next week. Despite frequent lawyer bashing jokes and cries that there are too many lawyers, a number of people, many of whom are low income, have little ability to access our justice system. The access to justice crisis is one in which the American Bar Association, many states, and even the federal government have all recognized as a problem in this country. When people are unable to receive meaningful access to legal advice and representation, Our system, which is supposed to treat all persons equally, regardless of economic status, fails to live up to the well-known phrase inscribed on the U.S. Supreme Court courthouse, equal justice under the law. While we may not have an overall shortage of lawyers per se, we do have a shortage of lawyers who are willing and able to represent those in underserved communities. This evening, we're going to talk about one of our show's sponsors, the Virtual Justice Project, which was created in part to address the access to justice problem in the state and the country. We have joining us in the studio, Greg Clinton. He is Director of IT and Facilities at the North Carolina Central University School of Law and the founding co-director of the Virtual Justice Project. Also joining us is Pam Glean, who is a professor and chair of the Dispute Resolution Institute at the North Carolina Central University School of Law, and the other founding co-director of the Virtual Justice Project. So thank you both for joining us this evening. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. And first uh, and foremost, thank you so much for continuing to sponsor the Legal Eagle Review as uh, you know one of our founding sponsors, and you continue to support this this show. So thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. You're very welcome. <laughs> All right. So the Virtual Justice Project. Um, what is this project? Let's just go ahead and start with what what the project is and and uh, what 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 it serves, what it does. Well, actually, April, um, t- this year is the tenth year. Um, reunion uh, or anniversary, anniversary of our thinking of the Virtual Justice <laughs> Project. <laughs> in t- 2009, we had at the law school at NCCU, we had one of the best technology programs in the country. And at the same time, we had one of the best clinical programs of any law school in the country. Pam was over the clinic at the time, and she had expanded that program uh, substantially. And I, my, I came to Pam because I mentioned to her, I said, uh, the next uh, wave in, uh, in technology in the law school is doing something virtually. So I kind of convinced her to uh, partner with the technology. So we married the technology and the clinical programs together to come up with the concept, the Virtual Justice Project. The idea was to take our reach from Durham to four other state-supported schools, North Carolina A&T, Winston-Salem State University, Elizabeth City State University, and Fayetteville State University, and one legal aid office in Durham. We were going to have, um, we were going to use telepresence and HD video conferencing to connect to those locations as if people were in the same room talking to an attorney. 
um, we were de we designed uh, actually three aspects of the uh, virtual justice project. The first was the Know Your Rights series. The Know Your Rights series was to talk about certain aspects of the law, and Pam can give more details about that in a moment. The second one was the, to create a pipeline of students coming to law school. We found that students going to law school uh, needed a little assistance in writing and just conceptually understanding the legal system. So we, t we were teaching two virtual pre-law courses for students to come to our law school, as well as to go to any other law school. We were more interested in creating a pipeline of students going to law school. And then the third, at the time in 2010, uh, law schools were not doing distance education in a virtual manner. So we wanted to be one of the first law schools to do synchronous distance education where students can uh, talk in real time in an interactive mode using telepresence and HD video conferencing. At that time, most of those law schools were doing asynchronous where it was pre-recorded and uh, you can go to it at some, at some point in time to review the lesson. So those are the three things we did with the Virtual Justice Project, uh, the concept. So at that, so around 2009, when I mentioned this to Pam that we should consider this, <laughs> there was actually a NOFA, uh, Notice of Funds Availability, out that um, was doing, they had $5 billion to do, to do um, three things. One, to create broadband infrastructure across the country. The second was to create public computing spaces. And the third was to create sustainable broadband adoption programs. We applied under the Sustainable Broadband Adoption Program and were successful in getting a grant for approximately $2 million to expand our reach. So essentially, since 2010, uh, we've been doing our virtual justice project with those three elements I talked about. Yes, that was, <clears throat> Greg says he spoke with me and convinced me, and, and he really did have to. The vision was wonderful, but I couldn't see it at the time. <laughs> and so it was, um, the more we thought about it, the, the better it looked. Uh, I, like he said, I was head of the clinical program at that time. And during those years, I think we had as many as 13 different uh, divisions of our clinical program. And we were overwhelmed with clients who needed uh, free representation. And we hated turning people away, but uh, you know, we worked for the state, and so we had limited a um, assets to expand our, our ability to help those people. We hated turning them away, so we uh, thought, well, maybe this is an easier way for us to reach a number of people at one time. So did, and we have always had North Carolina Central University law school has always had a great relationship with legal aid mm -hmm. and legal aid has that same issue too about the lack of funding and the lack of manpower of woman power so to speak um, to meet the demand um, and so we joined up with them as well and said what do you think about this idea and that's where we went uh, <clears throat> so it was uh, meant to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Pam, you, you said when, you know, Greg came to you kind of with this vision, you said it was a wonderful vision, but, but you couldn't, you couldn't see it. That's right. And, um, Greg, so 
were any other law schools or any other institutions doing what it is that you kind of envisioned when you thought about this idea of having a virtual justice project? At that time, no. No one else was doing it. If I tell people all the time that I, um, I see things that are not there, and I joke that when I met my <laughs> wife, <laughs> my wife was a psychology major, and when I told her that, she said, we call those people crazy. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I saw the, the vision I first started working at NCCU in 98 of this concept, and we just worked over the years to get the technology in place. We wanted to wait until the technology became stable enough to mimic a real-life interaction. And in 2010, the technology had become stable. Actually, I saw the vision for it, and Pam, actually, she it didn't take a long time for Pam to no, see it. It, didn't. it really didn't. Pam, I, I joke about I had to convince her. Pam saw it quickly. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, Pam and I are a good balance because I see the big picture and she sees the details mm-hmm. and she knows how to make sure we uh, don't promise too much because uh, <laughs> I promised the world. And, and she, because uh, <laughs> we promised um, uh, some very modest results uh, when we, we got the, the grant because of Pam. We, uh, in fact, the, uh, the um, uh, reviewers of the application said, we looked at your project and we said, but y'all not promising anything. Mm-hmm. And But then we realized the value and the potentials as one of the reasons we funded you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we promised that we would talk to, I think it was 1,200 people at 4,800 hours. We ended up talking to over 6,000 people with mm-hmm. 15,000 hours. And then we count them as repeat customers. It was over to 17,000 mm-hmm. people in the time period that we had. So it, it was so the demand for this project and this program has been uh, far greater than we anticipated. Even anticipated, that's right. I couldn't imagine mm. it at the very beginning. And indeed, while we were doing our interview for the grant, um, <clears throat> it was a little difficult to get them the grant um, panel could not envision it either. Mm-hmm. So we had to kind of break it down. Greg, you know, he speaks technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I had to sort of dumb it down or translate a little bit so that they could see it. You know, when you lose it earlier, he used the term synchronous and asynchronous, mm-hmm. you know, and not everybody could, uh, could understand that. Right. And, uh, but eventually they did. Mm-hmm. And they especially liked the relationship uh, with legal aid. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew what that was, but they didn't understand how it operates, Mm -hmm. especially with us. And so we were able to convince them and show them what we're going to do and how we were going to do it. Now, with legal aid, we only had one legal aid Mm -hmm. office from the start, but doing due diligence when we were talking about our project and Pam was correct that the agency didn't get it at first they knew legal aid and they knew street law but <laughs> but man they were saying well somehow you all going to combine legal aid and street law into this in a like a webinar or some pop-up and we're trying to explain no we're talking telepresence and HD video conferencing they were like what is telepresence mm-hmm. um, so <laughs> mm-hmm. so when, but when we started so the conversation got uh, to the point where they were like, yeah, we think this is a great idea. However, your numbers are still small, even for institution adoption of broadband. So you need some more players. So we reached back out to Legal Aid and uh, George Housen at the time. 
He was, a, uh, he was very um, helpful and excited about participating. And George was like, uh, we'd be glad to partner with you all. So we decided to use all the legal aids that were available at the time in North Carolina to provide equipment to them. Okay, mm-hmm. so so what when you when we talk about the relationship between or the partnering between the Virtual Justice Project and Legal Aid, what does that look like from a, a client or a, a, a consumer perspective? Well, for, <clears throat> for the most part, it was a partnership between it initially a partnership between Legal Aid and the clinical program. So we were not taking too many direct clients at the clinic in the law school, but what we were doing were get accepting referrals from North uh, from Durham Legal Aid office, and they uh, would screen the potential clients for eligibility. Final, there were some financial limitations on the the um, clients that we could take and the clients that Legal Aid could take as well. And there's a limitation. I, I think people have a, the wrong concept of legal aid that I don't have any money, so I'll just go to legal aid. Mm-hmm. But there are certain areas of law, too, that legal aid cannot um, accept as a, it was a restriction of the government because they were being funded um, <clears throat> partially by the U.S. government. And so we did not have that prohibition. And like I said earlier, we had about 13 divisions. And uh, so we were able to take the types of cases that legal aid could not take. So they loved having us as a referral source. And um, we, that helped us kind of get a little overwhelmed. And Mm -hmm. so we were happy to have this alternative method of um, taking care of clients. And so when, so when you say alternative method, was that through the Know Your Rights series, or was this where you would have, you would speak to potential clients using the, the broadband, the telepresence? Okay. So before we got there, we, it was using the broadband um, telepresence technology, but the reason that we um, did the Know Your Rights series was that there were certain um, areas of the law that were in high demand, very high demand. And so that uh, family law is one, and it still remains 20 years later or so. Um, Traffic stops, uh, search and seizures, and some criminal um, law. During that time, there was a foreclosure crisis in the nation, and so that was in very high demand. So we decided to stop, not do individual consultation, but sort of do a preventive, take a preventive approach to a group of people so that maybe we could intervene and help them before they got to court. And so those, that was the concept of the Know Your Rights series. And all of a sudden, those areas were doing well, and then all of a sudden, somebody else would say, why don't you do one on this? Mm-hmm. Why don't you do one on wheels, for instance? You know, And so we expanded it a little bit, the topics, um, but they were all very well received. 
Now, actually, with Legal Aid, another aspect of this was like uh, BTOP, which the program we got the grant funding on the Broadband Technology Opportunities Program. They were interested in more institutional adoption of broadband. So at the time, Legal Aid wanted to get into broadband and wanted to get into video conferencing, but it was cost prohibitive. So this allowed for them to get into the the um, uh, video conferencing business. So at that point, they were if they were having a meeting uh, across the state, they would all travel to Raleigh to have that meeting. Mm-hmm. And by us going to all the legal aids throughout the state and putting equipment, they could have meetings just from their offices and save their travel costs from going back and forth. So they started using the technology uh, amongst uh, within their own organization as well. And actually, they continue to do that even to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the technology we introduced them to was Polycom's uh, CMA client, but now they are they're actually are using Zoom like we are using Zoom. So they continue to to do this work. There was one that's one point at uh, when the reentry law changed in North Carolina, and when that reentry law changed, Legal Aid wanted to train all of their volunteer attorneys on one given day. Mm-hmm. So we had held a CLE. Um, um, continual legal education program uh, at the law school, and we had all of the all of the um, legal aid offices across the state connected. And that day, they trained over 179 attorneys uh, on the new injury entry law. They connected their offices all the way from Silva on the far western part of the state, Wilmington, far eastern part of the state. And it was amazing. Um, the people within our area were in the building with us, but they uh, did a roll call. And so it, uh, it was, you know, Silver is, are you on Connected? Are you here? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Pittsburgh, are you here? And that, it was just, it made my skin crawl. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so exciting to see them, and they were too. Now, what we left out a little bit is that um, the way we connected them was more than just plugging in the technology. Greg and I traveled to every legal aid office in the state. Yeah. (laughs) And we met everybody there, the people there. And so, because you do need to develop relationships if you're going to tackle a project like we have. And so, I think that really helped us gel a lot um, with them, and they started coming up with proposals as well as us. Um, and it was a cooperative um, relationship that we had, and that made it much more successful than we thought it was, like those numbers that Greg was talking about. We were just overwhelmed with the demand. All right. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking about access to justice and the Virtual Justice Project with the project's co-founding directors, uh, Greg Clinton and Pam Glean. We're going to have to take a quick break, but we will be right back. We hope you stay with us.
And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson, and I have been talking with Greg Clinton and Pam Glean, who were the project founding directors for the Virtual Justice Project. And right before the break, you were talking about how legal aid was able to have a statewide continuing legal education program, which is a requirement for lawyers in order to keep up their their licensure. Um, and if there's any information that they need to learn about in terms of continuing um, or developing areas of the law, mm-hmm. and that the, the uh, hardware and software that this project grant that you received was able to facilitate them um, doing that. So this w- at the time, so you, Greg, you mentioned um, Zoom during the last uh, before the break. Um, why was it that legal aid couldn't use a a, pro- a program like Zoom? At the time, there at the time um, when we started this project, there was two impediments. The first was the uh, software soft video conferencing clients like Zoom, Blue Jeans, GoToMeeting with Faces didn't exist. Um, so that was in 2009 and 2010. And if they did exist, they were in such a way, they were in, they're in such um, a disarray for the widespread consumer usage that it wasn't practical to use it. As well as the broadband access to that did not exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, they uh, brought, some people were still using dial-up at the time, uh, so we didn't have um, fast internet speed like we have now. So the BTOP program helped spawn uh, widespread usage of video conferencing because um, the technology needed for a video requires more bandwidth than just dial-up. So, so that was the impetus behind uh, what's, I guess that was so that's what's so unique and awesome about what we were doing at the time because it was not um, possible for most people to do it in the scale in which we were doing it. We decided to get to the um, go directly to the Know Your Rights series because then we want to just provide information to people so they'll know their rights. And it's easier for people to go to a legal aid office or go to a church or a library and get the information, especially in rural North Carolina mm-hmm. or rural America, and get the information by video and have questions that if they have a question, they can talk live with an attorney. We looked at a, a telepresence and HD video conferencing so you mimic the real life experience so you can see confusion in people's face. You can mm-hmm. see people, uh, the sincerity of the attorney who's talking to you. So it just gave a better environment for um people to be honest and candid. In some cases, we got too much information in these sessions. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we, the thought was that the technology we were using had to mimic real life as much as possible. Uh, we, um, we will use what is the best software and hardware in the market. At this point, Zoom yeah. is the best software project, a uh, best software product that we've tested. And Polycom continues to be the best uh, hardware provider for um, for video and for audio. So, you know, when lawyers talk with their clients or their potential clients, then we owe them a duty of confidentiality. And so uh, the technology that we started off with was uh, secure so that we could assure them that um, that it was it was not an on-air broadcast mm-hmm. uh, like some may have imagined, but it was a safe environment for them. 
Also, the equipment, some of the equipment that we installed at the remote locations had uh, cameras. Uh, document cameras. Document cameras, yes. So that you could, they did not have to mail a document for us to read before we could give them advice about it. You just lay it down under the, uh, under the camera and it would broadcast over to our cameras our screens at uh, the law school and talk to them about what they should be doing with that particular document. So it was convenient, number one. It was, um, it was economical in terms of time and cost because they were not having to, our students and lawyers were not having to travel out of town. And the uh, people in the rural areas did not have to travel a long ways to the clinic, and the many had done that before. So we were really, when I was, you know, envisioning what Greg had proposed, I thought about those people who uh, would travel so long just to see a lawyer um, more than once. Uh, so <clears throat> I think that the technology. Greg has helped us from the technological side, has helped us to secure the, our duty of confidentiality and also just secure the well-being that, the, um, that our audience can feel now when they communicate with us. You know, one of the things I, I so appreciate about this program is, uh, Greg, you saw a need and you didn't worry about what other organizations, law schools or institutions were doing. You had that vision and then Pam, you quickly came on board and I, and I think we can't emphasize that enough that um, you know we we're you know Central is an HBCU. We've mm -hmm. got a proud history and tradition and uh, we are trailblazers, and I think this program really represents that. So I, I commend, um, Greg, you for having that vision, and you, Pam, for, for getting on board and helping that vision actually be realized. Um, so the Know Your Rights series, so Pam, you talked about some of the uh, specific sessions that you had in terms of April, the topic. let me interject, because okay, sure. in my spirit it keeps saying... The vision was put into me. It, didn't come, it was mine. <laughs> it wasn't mine, so I can't take credit yeah. for it. The vision was put into me. I just acted on it. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's an important point as well because oftentimes people will have an idea yeah. mm -hmm. but will feel as though they can't see it yeah. through, that it's maybe not their place mm -hmm. to, to think big and to take those yeah. steps. So um, whatever mm -hmm. role the, both of you played, you serve as, as an inspiration to all of us. Yeah, great. Okay, so I, point. I agree. <laughs> um, so we've got these, the Know Your Right series. So, Pam, mm -hmm. you were listing some of the different um, uh, programs. Yes. So what, what programs have we, have, has the project uh, done this year and what projects are, are uh, coming up? Okay. So can I tell you something before I sure. answer Absolutely. your question directly? Yes. So when we started the Know Your Rights series, it they were so successful that people started coming to us for ideas with other Know Your Rights uh, situations and other uh, programs where we could broadcast across the state. So one of the first unique uh, seminars we had was to honor uh, Trayvon Martin's, the anniversary of Trayvon Martin's death. 
And so we had a very successful panel uh, where everybody could chime in at, at the universities, our partner universities, they were in the audience and they were able to speak to it. We also had, um, a, we went through a cycle where there was a lot and it's continuing police uh, brutality and murders of black boys. I call them boys because they're young, they were young. and. Um, so I, <coughs> we pulled together the state office of the sheriff's department and they pulled in all of their colleagues to talk about why, why this is happening and why we should not, you know, they wanted to develop relations, better relationships with people across the state. So they use us for that, um, for that reason and so we're still open to using community forums through the technology that we have. And that organization was the North Carolina Association of Chief of Police. I'm sorry. Chief of, <laughs> Chief Chief of, of Police. Police. Right. That's and, right. And my recollection is that it was one of our students uh, yes. who kind of proposed the, the program. He was a former law enforcement officer. Adam Whitaker. Yes. He a also was, a, uh, was one of the first students in their virtual pre-law courses at Fayetteville State. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they came to Central to law school. Yeah, the, the program that just keeps on giving. That's right. right. So he was introduced <laughs> to it. Um, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about the pre-law program um, as well. But So as far as uh, community engagement, um, if someone has an idea that they would like to see maybe the Virtual Justice Project um, take on. Well, ha- and, and you know, w- there's so many things kind of running in my head. <laughs> um, but we'll give some contact information. But before we do that, are, are you open to ideas in terms of um, community programs? If, if people are listening to this program or hear about mm-hmm. the Virtual Justice Project, are you still looking for different programs that the project might be able to undertake? We don't necessarily look for them, but we welcome ideas. But with the idea, we hope that the people who propose these programs to us also have a vision where they want to, you know, what's their goal? Who do they have that will help them promote that goal to the public? And our side of it is mostly to get you an audience at our partner locations as well we can as we can. Um, I don't, we haven't talked about our expanded locations since 2011. Why don't we? Why don't 10. we do that now? Well, the uh, let me go back to this issue that Pam was talking about about the programs. Like in May of this past year. A Columbia University's Justice Lab program reached out to us um, that they had a program. They have a grant to reimagine the criminal justice system across the country, and they felt as though we need to reimagine it from square one. So they want to hold their first series of roundtables. There are a series of roundtables they will have over the next three years, and they wanted to hold the first one at, um, the, at the law school. And we held that at law school, and we, and we partnered with them to deliver that program. And the uh, program was so successful, and the technology was so um, awesome. The comment was that we cannot replicate this technology anywhere else. Can you all partner with us for the future roundtables? And this past week, we just uh, helped them with the um, round to the second roundtable that was held at Merritt College 
in Oakland, California, and that was successful. Mm -hmm. So we're always looking at strategic partnerships that we can align ourselves with and issues that we can align ourselves with. And we will, um, and the, the team will just evaluate how we go about doing it. But we actually uh, are open to um, uh, partnering, but we also want the partnering organization to do a lot of the program and heavy lifting mm -hmm. on it. Okay. <laughs> so, so basically, if, if someone um, is listening to this program or they have some information about the Virtual Justice Project, um, that the the project can help facilitate getting that information out yeah. uh, but as far as in terms of the programming there's got to be some vision on their part um, in terms of what they want what message they're trying to communicate mm -hmm. um, and who will play a role in communicating that message so the virtual justice project will partner but not necessarily be the organization that will right. kind of take the lead we want to hear the voices of the community um, take a lead that's right on that as well Okay. And, and our um, email address is uh, virtualjusticeproject at nccu.edu. Okay, and we'll, we'll post that um, on our Facebook page and, and Twitter. Um, so we were talking so, about expanded yeah. locations. So we, uh, all of the uh, legal aid offices, um, Greg, you also mentioned that it was important to you that we partner with some of the HBCUs in the state. Why, why was that important and who, are, who have we partnered with? Uh, as far as our local HBCUs? Well, we partnered with the uh, four HBCUs um, earlier uh, because none of them had law schools, and we, they were feeder mm -hmm. schools for us. So we thought that was a nice um, logical mix for us. We, got, we, we typically get a lot of students from those schools. So that was important to us, and also they serve some of the communities that we're interested in serving. And with legal aid, uh, we, had, we learned that um, a lot of times those locations were not open on the weekends or at night so we decided that going forward we and they were, were not as public facing so we decided to look at public libraries as an option to expand our reach and then we started expanding our reach to public libraries throughout the state and we've grown now from 27 locations to about um, 60 locations and we have another uh, 30 locations that are coming on board within the next year and a half. And our ultimate goal is to be in every county in North Carolina. Um, and we're hoping that that goal will be fulfilled by the end of 2020. And so mm -hmm. taking the public libraries as an example, mm -hmm. if I go to the public library, how can I access the Virtual Justice Project programming through the library? It, will it be one-on-one? -on -one? Will it be the Know Your Rights series? What role does the library play? The in? libraries currently have, uh, we put equipment in all the public libraries. These, the public libraries there are our virtual justice sites, and then we put posters up in those locations that announces the upcoming events. Remember when we talked about visiting every site it, it, initially? We've also been to a lot of those libraries, and we tour their facilities. We look and see if they have um, rooms for groups or just for an individual now and then. And so based on that, Greg and his team picked the appropriate technology for those locations so that we would be able to communicate with people who go to those libraries and um, talk with them for, with, about whatever they need. And some of the grants are so uh, specific about uh, the population, like we're in a lot of rural areas. Mm -hmm. So the the more rural the area, the higher the scoring point we get. So any areas where we have 5,000 or less 
people in the population. We get more points in our evaluation. And as a result, um, we are able to uh, reach uh, maybe one or three people in an area that may have a thousand or less um, people in the population. But when you combine that to all the locations at one time, the impact is uh, is pretty um, substantial. And that gets to the heart of one of the issues that we have with access to justice, right. these, mm-hmm. these rural areas, right. right? Lawyers aren't really looking at practicing in those areas because the population is just so low. And yeah. so it takes them a lot of time and energy just to get any type of legal representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this definitely addresses that concern. Mm-hmm. All right, you're listening to the Legal Eagle Review on WNCU 90.7 FM. We're going to have to take a quick break, but we hope you stay with us. We have been talking about the Virtual Justice Project, one of the show's sponsors. And we've been talking about the access to justice and how this wonderful project helps to serve that gap. So stay with us. We will be right back. again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and I have been talking with Greg Clinton and Pam Glean who are the founding co-directors of the Virtual Justice Project. Uh, Greg, right before the break we were talking about um, other partners um, and you were talking about the libraries. Are there other folks that the project is partnering with? Uh, There are some other players, uh, and one of the players are churches. Um, We actually have two churches now that we're partnering with, um, the church in Creekmore Christian Faith Academy and Mount Zion United Church of Christ in Henderson. Uh, Both of those churches were test places for us because um, they were, again, public-facing, and people have an affinity to go into those places. Um, The um, the, uh, consistency of those um, uh, sites have been good as far as the parishioners at those locations have come out to the programs that we offered. And they, we, we actually gotten requests from other churches in the areas to um, to um, become sites. And we're evaluating those as we speak. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so programming. So we've talked about some of the programming. So what programming, what, what uh, sessions have, um, th- has the project undertaken this year? So we have um, this year started off with understanding expunctions so Mm -hmm. we're trying to get people's records clean so they can be employable and we talked about the demand of family issues with the clinic and we also had a child custody and visitation order um, session about what to do with those how to interpret the orders and and obtain the orders we have it's coming up on tax time. Mm-hmm. And so we have last minute strategies to prepare your tax return uh, last the other week. And coming up in April, as school is about to dismiss for our minor children, we'll have a session uh, with our juvenile law attorney uh, on how to effectively wrap up your child's academic year. and to close out our semester, but we're going to continue through the year. We'll have 
that will end with the do's and don'ts of separation and divorce. All right. And so if someone, the, the sessions that you just mentioned, if someone has an interest in those, is there a way to access? So are these programs being recorded? Is there a way for folks to access them after the fact? I'll let Pam speak to that. Well, <laughs> um, I mentioned before uh, our, our goal to be comp- have confidential conversations with people. And it sort of turns people off if they know they are being recorded. And I completely understand that. So we um, do not record our sessions. We want people to be comfortable and ask the questions that they need to ask. And so they can, um, but several, to- several of these topics we repeat mm-hmm. t- throughout the year. And so they can just check our website and see what's coming up again. And some of these will be coming back up. And because the and and I think that um, emphasizes the point that these are interactive sessions. So it's not just a lawyer kind of you know sharing this information. People who are participating have an opportunity to ask questions. Yes, they do. And sometimes the questions that come from the audience are common questions that the rest of the audience would say, "Oh, I'm so glad this person asked that question. I wanted to, but I was mm-hmm. nervous." And so it's beneficial for the audience uh, to hear those questions in their environment. All right, okay, so um, those are the Know Your Rights series. So you read the series sessions that are going through April, but there will be additional programming um, Mm -hmm. beginning in May. And so if someone wants to know what's coming up, where should they go to? They should go to our website, and our website address is uh, law.nccu.edu forward slash VJP. And that gives you a list of all the upcoming sessions. And in some of those cases, we have uh, the Zoom link for people to link link to it if they are not available to go to one of our sites. All right. And that's an important point. So you can access the you can participate in the Know Your Rights by going to one of the legal aid offices or the libraries or the churches or even come to the law school. But if you're not able to get to those sites, then, Greg, as you mentioned, there's a link that and you can use Zoom to actually participate from your computer at your home. So your iPhone, telephone, telephone. Telephone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and again, this goes to the whole point of trying to get this information out to the people who need it the most. Mm -hmm. That's correct. So, Greg, you mentioned the pre-law program that and that was one of the aspects of the Virtual Justice Project that you wanted the project to to focus on. So what? What's the the goal of the uh, pre-law program, and do you have anything that's coming up with respect to that? Actually, the goal of the pre-law program is to help strengthen students who are coming to law school so they can do well. In fact, I tell the story all the time that one of our first students in this program, Shana Wynn, was a um, student at Winston-Salem State University. And she, although she's from North Carolina, um, she and she knew about NCCU, she had not planned to come to NCCU. She had planned to go to Howard Law School. And uh, she took the virtual pre-law course, and she got introduced to the law school, and she came for a visit, and she decided that uh, NCCU was the law school for her. She came here, and we, we tell her that she was our poster child. So <laughs> she came here and did well. And when she finished, she um, took the bar and passed it on the first time around. And then we had another student in that same class, Cliff Morgan. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Cliff Morgan was an undergraduate student here at Central who took those courses. And um, he, too, came from a small um, town in North Carolina. 
and he wanted to go to law school and he wanted to come here. So he came here and he too did well in law school. And uh, when he um, took the bar, he passed the first time around and he's currently in the Naval JAG. And so we have had some success stories. We talked about Adam earlier who took the course at Fayetteville State. And we have a ton of students who've taken these courses and come to law school at Central. We also have a number of students who've taken these courses and gone to other law schools, uh, which uh, is completely okay with us. We're really just <laughs> trying to help people get through law school. They just don't know what they're missing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, so we offer their virtual pre-law courses every semester. And we're offering the upcoming sessions for the summer. We're offering uh, in both summer sessions. Now, we're offering the courses in three formats. The first, you can do it for academic credit. If you're uh, within the, the UNC systems, you can um, uh, apply through our online portal and, and, and accept uh, and get the courses on your transcript and get the credit for it. Secondly, if you're not within our UNC system but from another school system want to apply as a visiting student in the fall or as, as a summer school student, you can take those courses for academic credit. And then the third uh, way that uh, actually Pam came up with this a few years ago <laughs> was that we will offer the courses as a CEU, Continuing Education Units. So if, you've had a, if you currently have an undergraduate degree or just want the information but not interested in academic credit, you can take the, the same course with the students who are getting it for, doing it for academic credit uh, at a more reduced price. So we offer those three ways of taking these courses, and we're offering these courses every semester. Now, my goal would be to have these courses uh, across time zones. So, <laughs> so you offer these courses across time zones. So you pick up everybody throughout the United States who are interested in these courses, and you have multiple sessions of these courses throughout the summer, the fall, and the spring. Uh, we're just not there yet, but we're on our way. <laughs> That's a vision that you have. That's yes, another vision. <laughs> um, so any other long-term plans as far as the project is concerned? It's grown a lot since, you know, 2010. Yes, it has. It's grown a lot. And um, we're, I'm, I'm just, I guess, overwhelmed sometimes about all the things we can do, all the things we are doing. Uh, we have a good group of partners that work with us. Our ultimate goal in North Carolina is to be in every county in North Carolina by the end of 2020, and we're working hard to get to that point. So we'll have a locations in every county, all 100 counties of North Carolina uh, pretty soon. Uh, our goal is to partner with more, more other state organizations that need to get messages out to people like emergency management, mm -hmm. uh, Department of Transportation, or, or, um, or small business development, all those, um, with the Commerce Department, all those agencies that need reach uh, through the uh, North Carolina that we can help facilitate. So Disaster <laughs> recovery, um, uh, <coughs> need desperately. Mm -hmm. So, and for an example, last year, if um, we were trying to do some sort of disaster recovery, we had equipment in all those counties affected by um, the hurricane. We could have gotten information about FEMA to those people uh, by just going to the libraries mm -hmm. in those local areas. Because the most of those libraries are still operational. It's just in some cases, uh, the operation uh, libraries were not done were not operational, and um, we're. But they, the people at some of those libraries said, we wish we could have gone to other libraries to get information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so 
Uh, so long term, we are looking at just strengthening the, the program that we have, um, um, increasing the impact for uh, the citizens of North Carolina and making sure that people have access to information. Um, Pam used to always say that people don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's a good that's a good mm-hmm. point that pe- a lot of times people don't know what they don't know. And these information sessions just help people to understand what the law is in North Carolina and what their rights are. And and as far as uh, information, other legal topics uh, going forward, are there other areas where you're hoping to be able to share with the community? Uh, well, we try to look at, I, I can't think of an area right now, mm-hmm. but we do look at the trends um, socially, uh, economically, um, indivi- especially the school systems, what's going on there. And we develop them within that um, those areas of the law, and usually it helps uh, it helps a good amount of people follow what those trends are giving to us. So I can't think. I've, of I've got one example that 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 we that we touched on um, was food justice. Oh, yes, that's right. And how that's, you know, an area that is affecting Mm -hmm. so many people. And I know uh, we actually had a show where we focused on that. And I I thought that the guests were absolutely wonderful. And I I, uh, mentioned it to you all. And I know we're going to follow up on that. But that's an example of, you know, an area where people need to to know what's going on as far as, you know. The Law School Environmental Law Society hosted something similar to that mm-hmm. topic. I think it was a food desert, though, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. food deserts. Yep. And um, so that is a, a trending topic now. So we look forward to doing something with that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, is there uh, expansion beyond the law that the project is thinking about or is open to? Actually, we have, and we actually getting ready to launch a, um, a telemedicine from a behavioral uh, science standpoint. Mm-hmm. We're partnering with uh, Dean Parker and the College of Behavior and Social Science to offer counseling sessions on uh, various topics like diabetes, hypertension, heart um, um, uh, heart issues. And we actually are um, looking at starting some of those programming in the summer, late summer. And th- those programs are being developed now, and they will run uh, uh, similar to the way we run our programs. They will run um, multiple times through the year. They may start out with diabetes edu- mm-hmm. education um, for a few months, and then you, you'll go to um, heart health and hypertension and uh, sickle cell, and then you'll then you'll rotate around. So the thought is to get health information to people as well in, in addition to the legal information. So it's kind of like we're combining telemedicine and telelaw. So, we, <laughs> <laughs> so, so most people are familiar with telehealth, but they're not familiar with telelaw. So we kind of combine the two. And those two are, are become, I think, will continue to grow as more people uh, have uh, questions that they need answered instantly. And they need to talk to a professional about it. It mm-hmm. just allows for them to have that access to people. Mm. And, and even th- that may seem at, at first blush uh, to be an interesting pairing, but I think it's a it's a pairing that works because when we think about legal issues mm-hmm. and the circumstances in which legal issues arise, it they often arise in situations where 
uh, there's something else going on, right? Exactly. And so if you have there's medical usually problems, a lot else going a on. Lot, <laughs> yes, yes. And this is just kind of, you know, getting involved in, you know, let's say the criminal justice system um, mm-hmm. or even family law issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes back to oftentimes economics, yeah. which mm-hmm. is tied to, you know, health and um, being involved in these areas of, of the law can cause stress and trauma. And so this all seems to be um, interrelated in a really good partnership from, from my view. Yeah. Actually, you're right. Yeah. It, it is all interrelated. Mm-hmm. So what else would you like our audience to know about the Virtual Justice Project? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we would like for you all to know that we really enjoy having an audience to interact with during our programming. And so if they come and just follow us on our website, I don't know if we have a Facebook page or We do, social but, media. but we have social media, Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. and um, uh, what's the other Twitter. One? Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Greg and I are a little older. We're, we're older. And so we need to get a, a student or a former student to tell, educate us about <laughs> the social uh, network. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's definitely the it's place to, to go in terms of where a lot of people go to get uh, that yes. information. And I'm sure once they come and receive the information, they always leave grateful that they attended and they are very gracious to us um, for providing that information to, uh, for them. Okay. I remember when we first got the grant. We got the grant in 2010, September 2010. Mm-hmm. And when the agency um, uh, read our proposal and decided to award us the grant, <clears throat> it was such a big deal to them that they asked Pam and I to come up to D.C. to be a part of a, an announcement ceremony to talk about the, the promise of this project. And I think about uh, that day when we uh, went to D.C. and and was announced. um, Larry Tribe, who um, uh, who was over the Access to Justice Project at that time, wanted to come and speak. And he spoke and he said that when you think about all the proposals and all the things that people get grants and money for, it's always about an individual accomplishment, something personal or something that uh, shows them how great they are or something that's more mm-hmm. vain. But, but our project was more something that was really just trying to serve the people who needed help. And, that, and from that perspective, he thought we had a great project. And I agree. I think we have a great project because our goal and our focus is to help people who... Um, need to be help in North Carolina and to provide the resources for people who don't have those resources and access to information. And particularly, we are, as a law school, we're interested in uh, educating people to become attorneys. So any opportunity we get to introduce people to NCCU School of Law, or the, what we do, and the, and the profession of the, and the legal profession, we like to take it, and we welcome people to apply to our law school. That's right. All right. Well, that's a great place for us to end it. Um, This has been a great discussion. And again, let me uh, thank you both for your continued support of the Legal Eagle Review. Um, And thank you, our listening audience, for taking time out of your busy schedule and spending it with us and getting to know a little bit more about our sponsor, the Virtual Justice Project. Um, And Greg Clinton, who was one of the who is one of the founding co-directors of the Virtual Justice Project. And uh, Greg is the director of I.T., 
and Facilities of North Carolina Central University School of Law, and Pam Glean, who is a professor and chair of the Dispute Resolution Institute at North Carolina Central University School of Law, uh, and one of the founding co-directors of the Virtual Justice Project. And you can reach the Virtual Justice Project. Let me give you some contact information. The number is 919-530-6601. You can also reach the Virtual Justice Project um, email address is virtualjusticeproject, all spelled together, at nccu.edu. And the website is uh, www.law.nccu.edu-vjp. So we hope you've enjoyed the show, and we hope that you will um, definitely stay on top of the offerings of the Virtual Justice Project. And you can also reach us here at the Legal Eagle Review via email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed and engaged.